Thank you, Jordan. He did a fine job, and I meant to uh, bring this up this morning, but if you would like to check out a book, this book, Reasons to Believe by Eric Lyons and Kyle Butt, that's the one I was trying to come up with this morning. They co-authored the book, and it is outstanding. In fact, pretty much everything you see or hear, they had part to do with it. I also use Brad Harab's book, which is the book Convicted, another good book, and then there's like uh, five others in my office you can check out if you would be interested. Uh, however, once again, I want to spend some time looking at why should I believe in God. I'm so glad to see each one of you that made it a point to come back, and I pray that our study tonight can be beneficial to all. Now, this morning we looked at the first point, which isn't very many, I understand. But we got to the first point and we got through it, which is matter demands a maker. If you have something, obviously there had to be some way where it came to be. And so we've got the world. The world is matter, and therefore something had to create it. Now, we're going to go a lot further than just that today. And so I would encourage you as we consider why should I believe in God, understand that God made a purpose for man to believe from a long time ago. As he looked at John chapter 3 and verse 16, which was, meant, which was mentioned, it's, it's all centered around God sending His Son because He desired your belief. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him... And notice what, what happens once again with belief. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We talked about the Word of God, which is the seed which creates the life that is most important, that being spiritual life. You might also remember Hebrews chapter 11. If you look at verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to believe. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God, notice, must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You can go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and it says, Faith is the substance of things, of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We look at all these different things, and we understand that there is importance in believing in God. It's directly tied to salvation. Today, as we go on, uh, I don't want to spend any more time talking about matter demanding a maker. However... As we started this morning, we talked about the first slide, life demands a life giver. We mentioned the law of biogenesis, we got into the Word of God, which it gives true life. But don't think it stops there, because we've got so much more. Notice, notice this picture on the screen. Now, I know it's a little small, and you might or not be able to read it. Now, if you are able to read it, that is by design because God gave you the ability with this super special eye that was created, and we're going to look at the design behind the designer in a little bit. However, if you can see it, congratulations. And if you can't, don't worry, that's another proof of God because God talked about vision dimming or becoming blurry. So I apologize for the small slide. All right. This was an, an experiment. I remember studying it when I was a young boy. Uh, it was done by Francesco Ridi, and it talked about putting that, uh, the meat, put it inside the jar, 
And it just so happens that voila, there was, there was no way that anything special could take place. And they watched that meat and all of a sudden they realized that this meat has maggots. This is a piece of meat from a dead animal and now it's got maggots and they say, see, looky here. Life came from that dead piece of flesh, that dead piece of meat that was in the jar. Well, it wasn't long, and that was uh, proved wrong. There was no such thing as spontaneous generation taking place. However, uh, we see that the flies enter, they lay eggs, and you get maggots. All right, so they, they updated a little bit, and you have the jar that's got the gauze over the top of it, and no flies got down to the meat. However, they do land on it, and the eggs fall down through, lands on the meat, and once again, wait, we've got spontaneous generation. There's maggots on the meat. And so uh, they had to further the experiments. They sealed the jar. There's no flies, no maggots. There is no created life. As we look at life, I want you to understand that life only comes from the life giver. God gave the design for how life works. We looked at it earlier this morning in Genesis chapter 1. Life comes from the life of its kind. The law of biogenesis on the previous slide said... Uh, said all life comes from previous life of its own kind. There's no other way it comes. All right, you go down uh, Louis Pasteur in 1859 did an experiment with the broth. You boil it, you kill everything in it, all bacteria, everything that's possibly in there. He said you kill it, and with them leaving it open to everything, they find out it is contaminated. So life gets in there. All right, you have it also. You have the co cotton plug that filters it. And they find it sterile, and then we go back and they do the, they do the flask that's got the whoop-de-woo so the bacteria can't get back up to the top and down in, and they prove that the life never came automatically. It was not spontaneously generated. All right, now I want you to, to notice the next slide from George Wald. He's a professor at Harvard, or was a professor at Harvard. Uh, he wrote in the... Scientific American, a magazine, and under his article, The Origin of Life, in 1954, he said, the reasonable view, that means the only thing that makes sense, the reasonable view was to believe in spontaneous generation. He said, the only alternative to believe in a single primary act of creation. He said, there is absolutely no other choice. There is no third position. He said either A, you believe life came from nothing, or B, you believe in a creator. There's no way around it. Now, this is a scientist that was not a creationist. This is a scientist that did not want to give glory to God. However, he says it's either A, spontaneous generation works, or B, it had to be God. And the facts are, scientists to this day are still working diligently. They are still trying on a regular basis to create life from non-life. And why is that? Because they want to not believe. Well, I'll tell you, as we look at Genesis chapter 1, we see where life came from. We see where life continues in John chapter 1. And the only way that life will ever continue is in God's way. 
And the longer that scientists study that, the more they'll come to realize. And that's why we started with the law of biogenesis. Only life comes from life of its kind. If you want a single-celled single cell, uh, organism to, to produce life, well, it's going to produce life of its kind. And yet, as you go back throughout the evolutionary tales, they, they talk about man coming from this seemingly nothing, the single-cell organisms, and all of a sudden they've got those turning into monkeys, which then start to stand upright, and all, the, all of a sudden they look like us. As you look at life demanding a life giver, there were a lot of things that other scientists had to say, and I want you to pay attention close to the next couple. Martin Moe in Genes on Ice, uh, this is also in the Science Digest, another science uh, magazine, in 1981 said, there is no serious doubt that biogenesis is the rule. Remember what we talked about? Life only comes from life of its kind. All right. Biogenesis is the rule. The life comes only from other life. That a cell, that a cell, the unit of life, is always and exclusively the product or offspring of another cell. Well, I'd say he's got it figured out, as, figured out as well. Notice also Neil Shubin. This is a more recent book. In fact, it was written in 2009. It's called Your Inner Fish. It says, I can share with you one true law that all of us can agree upon. Listen, he said, we all got it figured out. Now, remember that. I can share with you one true law that all of us can agree upon. This law is so profound that most of us take it completely for granted, yet it is the starting point for almost everything. We do in paleontology, developmental biology, and genetics. He said this biological law of everything is that every living thing on the planet had parents. Every person you've ever known has biological parents, as does every... I, I mistyped there. Every bird, salamander, or shark you have ever seen. He said, to put it more precise, for, to put it in a more precise form, every living thing sprang from some parental genetic information. All right. He's not a creationist. He's not trying to push creation. However, he says, here's the law. And that law that he is referencing is the law of biogenesis, that life always comes from life. Notice what he said at the very beginning. He said, I can share with you one true law that all of us can agree upon. He means in science, we all get it. Life only comes from other previous life of its kind. Now, I want you to remember what the first one said, George Wald, the professor at Harvard, when he wrote, he said, there are two options. Either A, you better hope spontaneous generation works, or B, there's a creator. And I declare to you today, I believe he's right. He hit the nail on the head. You got two options, and it just so happens science once again proves that the life was created by the life giver that life giver being God. I want you to notice, I was actually just talking about this a second ago. There was a man by the name of Anthony Flew. If you know anything about him, he was a, well here, in his words, the world's most notorious atheist. Okay? If you look at Anthony Flew, I actually have a debate book on my, on my desk, which is a debate between uh, him and Thomas Warren about 
about the existence of God. He was very positive. He was very strong in his arguments. He was very decided. Okay, and the point that we are looking at right now is life demands a life giver. Here's what he had to say. This is almost at the very end of his book as he's coming to a conclusion and he's, he's saying this is why he wrote the book, There is a God. He went from believing there was no such thing to believing. And notice what law or proof dictated his thought process. He says the only satisfactory explanation for the origin of such indirected, self-replicating life as we see on earth is an infinitely intelligent mind. He said it took somebody super duper special to be able to make happen what happened. What he's really pointing to is design. And that's our next point. Design demands a designer. As he looks around and he sees human life, he recognizes life, he recognizes how things work, he recognizes how perfectly God's, God has us fitted and jointed together to where we can accomplish all these different tasks. So he comes to understand design demands a designer. By the way, props to my wife for the pictures. Recently, uh, through the past few years in going to visit Brother John Clark, we would sit at his house, and I remember sitting with Linda, and we would sit out on the back porch, and we would see all kinds of hummingbirds. And so a few years ago, after we bought our house, the person had left the hummingbird feeder there, and I thought, hmm, I'm going to feed these hummingbirds. So I fed the hummingbirds, and none ever came. I really thought I had it figured out, and I said, this is going to work great, and I'm going to watch a bird or two. Uh, well, it never happened. I, I put, the, put the stuff in the bottle, and I watched it, and I watched it, and then it turned like, well, it was back to that proving at the very beginning where it turns into scum. It was turning, turning really nasty, and the birds weren't eating it. And so uh, I remember talking to John one day, and he, he says, now here is the ticket. He said, if you'll do this, he said, you'll have some hummingbirds. And so I did that, and ever since, I love waking up in the morning. Okay, I hate waking up in the morning, but Jude loves to wake me up in the morning, and Jude screams and cries, and there's only one thing that makes him happy other than his mom, and that's me taking him outside. So every morning we go outside, we sit on the chair. He's perfectly happy. I cannot sit on the chair inside. He wouldn't be happy. But outside on the chair, Jude's a happy fella. And so we sit on the chair in the morning, and we watch the hummingbirds. All right, as far as... My knowledge or understanding goes, this little dude that we have on the screen is a male. He's a ruby-throated hummingbird, and he is really cool. Now, as I watch him, there is no doubt at my house who, rolls the, who rules the roost. There is there's this fella that I don't have a name for, but he's a ruby-throated hummingbird. And then there's uh, his female friends that also come to the same hummingbird feeder. And when they come, he says, leave. And when... One of the females comes, the other female comes and tells that one to leave. There's, there's definitely a pecking order. Okay. Within all this, you see this beautiful bird. And I want to tell you that this bird is special. When you go and you tell me, hey, there ain't anything special about the bird that we've got flying around, you don't understand how special God's creation is for these birds. Now, you can look at basically 
I take that back. You can look at any animal, any, any organism in all of existence. And I believe within that you can see the proof for God. And because I loved my hummingbirds recently, I said, let's look at the hummingbird. All right, the hummingbird, ruby-throated hummingbird, one that lives here is super special. Notice their little hearts, I mean, lo, notice their little wings flap at 50 to 80 beats per second. That means, all right, and in fact, that's where they get their name. When I sit outside on the porch and I hear him come by, on the way to the hummingbird nest, I hear a hum, and I'm like, hmm, hummingbird's back. All right, we've got a hummingbird that is super special. Now, notice about this hummingbird, and I want to go ahead and take note while I have this slide up because I've got a different picture on the other slide, and I should have swapped them, but I didn't. But anyways, if you'll look at the picture of this hummingbird. In the, the picture of this hummingbird, I know it's small, but right back over here, if you look at that wing, there is something different about this bird than basically all other birds. I won't say all, but most other birds. Within this bird right here, there is one bone. It's a straight bone. You remember those chicken wings? If you go to the store and you get the full chicken wing, you notice that it's got the flapper and the other flapper. It's got the bend in it, okay? This one doesn't. The hummingbird is special. Now, the hummingbird flies completely different than the other birds, and it had to in order for it to survive. As you look at the hummingbird, the hummingbird has the ability to hover it has the ability to fly backwards, fly sideways. It can fly up to 55 miles an hour. It can dive at 60 miles an hour. Zoom! And then it comes up, to the, comes up to the the hummingbird feeder as quick as he can. And then all of a sudden he stops right there and he's like, let's eat. <laughs> I mean, that dude's incredible. Like he just goes from stop to go to go to stop. And he does it in a matter of that quick. You ever heard the phrase stop on a dime? He does it. All right, now as you look at that, this bird is special compared to us even. When you look at the bird, it burns huge amounts of calories. You know, have you heard of Michael Phelps? You know, he's a great swimmer, he's a human. I remember watching some documentary or something. My wife loves documentaries. But anyways, we're walking, watching some documentary about Michael Phelps and how much food he ate in a day. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. And then you see this little dude right here. If he was the equivalent of a human, it would take 1,300 hamburgers a day. Washed down with 60 liters of water. Now, that's in comparison. We're looking at a little bird that creates, that has to have all the sustenance to keep it alive, to, to be able to fly so fast and to use up so much energy that he can do what God would have him to do. Were we to operate at their energy level, now all this is according to uh, ans uh, Answers in Genesis, their website. Were we to able to operate at their energy level, I didn't just make it up, uh, our hearts would have to be, 12, would be 1,260 times a minute. Our body temperature would rise to 385 degrees Celsius and we would burst into flames. And so what I'm telling you is, it happens because God made it happen. All right, this hummingbird is super special, but that's not all. Go ahead to the next slide. It says, hummingbirds need an extremely efficient fuel in able for them to be able to do what they do. Enable for them, in order to enable them to be able to uh, perform all the tasks and fly so quickly and to, and to use all the energy that they do, they were created... Or first we'll see that they, they live off of flower nectar. They were created for flower, ne 
nectar, and in my bird's case, it just so happens that they live off sugar water. However, they use that special little beak, they use, or they use that special little bill to, to penetrate deep into flowers. That needle-like bill, which penetrates deep into flowers, is there to extract the nectar. What's special about that? Well, it's got all those calories, it's got all the efficiency in it, so that they can build up fat later, we'll see, for uh, their great travels that they can use. Notice it says, if the corolla of the flower is too long, the bill can pierce it at the base to gain access. So notice if you ever look at those, uh, well, matter of fact, you can look at him right there. If you look at that little needle-like nose, he's got something super special where he can pull up to that flower and it's too deep to go in. And so he says, hmm, looks too deep, goes around the side, pokes it down in, and voila, he's got nectar. And you're telling me that that happened by happenstance. There were two little organisms, two, two single-cell organisms, and they got together, and voila, you got a hummingbird. It just doesn't make sense. When you look at the hummingbird, it's designed specially. Uh, it's designed with a tongue which is curled up at the edges to form two troughs. They say it looks like a three. It's got two troughs so that when it goes in, it, it dips into... My birds dip into the sugar water and they're able to lap it up with the two troughs and they pull it down their throat and they pop it up against the back of their throat and they go back for more. It can take 13 licks per second. 13 licks per second. Why does it have to take 13 licks per second? Because it takes a lot of nectar. It takes a lot of sugar water to keep it alive. And you're telling me that that tongue just accidentally fell into place in his head so that it's super quick and it can go in and collect all that nectar uh, so that it can collect all the sustenance it needs for life. I don't think so. Now, I talked a second ago about that, that wing. If you look back at the wing, the wing is a swivel in all directions. It doesn't bend like my arm, so I'm going to try and hold it, hold it straight. But as he, as he flies, he flies in a circle eight motion. This allows him to fly forward and fly back. Now let's say those single-celled organisms messed up when they created the hummingbird. You know, he's got the perfect needle-like nose. He's got all these things that are really great about him, but he got a flapping wing like a chicken. If he got the flapping wing like the chicken, he comes up to the flower. He says, hmm, my nose isn't long enough to get down into that flower. He flies into the flower. He pokes his little nose in. How does he get out? He doesn't. Without that straight wing and the circle eight motion, he would be stuck in the flower. There is no flying backwards. He would be stuck. And so we have God that made this super special bird that flies super fast, that gets there, gets in, gets the, gets the nutrients or the food it needs, and it gets out and it's on to the next flower. All right. When hovering, each complete, each complete beat of the wing describes a figure of an eight. As the wings move backward, the upstroke, they are tilted so that the underside of the wing is facing upward. At the end of the stroke, they flip over so that the underside of the wing is facing downward to see the no to the normal position again. To fly backward, the wing is tilted slightly so air is forced forward. What's their what they're saying is, my wings are really special if I'm a hummingbird. He said, I can do anything with this special little, special little knot, this special little hinge in my shoulder. It goes every direction. 
For migration, it stores a layer of fat equal to half its body weight before setting off at the normal rate of use. However, this would not be enough to last the crossing of the gulf, yet the hummingbird does complete this journey, so it must have some method of conserving energy on the long flight. Any bird that cannot make this flight nonstop dies in the attempt. What he's saying is those two special cells that by happenstance came together and created a hummingbird, he says, well... Sorry, you know, we had a mom and a dad hummingbird and they were doing great and then they went on migration and across the gulf they fell. No more hummingbirds. What I'm telling you is God created the hummingbird perfectly. We need to keep in mind the hummingbird's features would have to work perfectly from the beginning for it to have survived. Long bill, special tongue, unique rapid wing beat. In order to be able to gather its highly efficient energy... Food, the migratory behavior, energy storage, flight endurance, long-distance navigation must also have been perfect from the beginning so the adults could reach their nesting grounds and return with their young. What he's saying is it wasn't over a matter of a, bi a billion trillion years that a hummingbird came into place because it died way back when it couldn't make it across the gulf in the beginning. What I'm telling you is design demands a designer. As you look at my special little friend, the hummingbird, understand that he wasn't created by someone that just accidentally put some atoms together. He wasn't created by some cells that were just out bumping around in the forest and they ran into each other and all, voila, you got a hummingbird. In Brad Harab's book, the one I brought up here, Convicted, he talks about the, the point of design demanding a designer, and in order for it to work out, you had to have the perfect, the right type of galaxy, the right location within the galaxy, the odds of being near the right sun, being the right distance from the sun, having the right rotation from the sun, having the right tilt on their rotation, possessing enough water on the universe or in the earth, having the right atmospheric condition to sustain life. Notice in 1981, the Science Digest reported that the Earth moves in its orbit around the sun, departing from a state straight line by one-ninth of an inch over 18 miles. All right, every 18 miles, it departs one-ninth of an inch. Now, I'm not real good with ninths, but I do know eighths. Uh, in construction, we use eighths, ninths. They're pretty close to it. You look at a ninth, and you got that ninth of an inch, and he says... In every 18 miles, we see that it comes off that much. Notice it says, if it departed by one-eighth of an inch, the number I know, we would come so close to the sun that we would be incinerated. It's an accident. God didn't, well, I mean, God did mean for it to happen, but when the, the molecules just accidentally bumped together at the, at the beginning of the Big Bang that didn't happen, if you look at the, the way that they would have come together and hit, it just by happenstance hits perfectly where we get the eighth inch and I mean get the, the ninth inch and voila, life is able to be sustained for the amount of time for us to be here today. All right, if it was one-eighth of an inch, we would come so close to the sun that we'd be incinerated. If it departed by one-tenth of an inch, we would find ourselves so far from the sun that we would all freeze to death. What he's saying is, without a designer, there wouldn't be hope and we would be dead. Let's look at what some scientists said and then we'll quit. Jerry Coyne, Why Evolution is True, in his book in 2009 says, if anything is true about nature, it is plants and animals seem intricately and almost perfectly designed for living their lives. Huh, really? 
every one of them. We had this big bang that happened at the beginning, and yet we've got ferns that are able to live. We've got clover that's able to live. We've got alfalfa that's able to live. We've got trees that are able to live. We've got monkeys that are able to live, humans that are able to live, and the hummingbird. Everything just worked out so perfectly that everybody was designed just like it was supposed to be, and now we have life for all. He said, it seems intricately and almost perfectly designed for living their lives. Nature resembles a well-oiled machine. He's right. The more one learns about plants and animals, the more one marvels at how well their notice. Designs fit their ways of life. Now, you can't say design without having a designer. Isn't that right, Jody? I mentioned a designer this morning. Jody and April, it's probably really April, but Jody and April work on designs all the time. And you think that those designs just happen. You take that piece of paper and you put the pencil in there and April just shakes it like this and you get a house, all B. You check out the blueprints. It's just the paper scratches and they all work perfectly. They got the little numbers written out beside them. It says build this wall 19 foot, this wall 18 foot, this wall 36 feet. And voila, you got the perfect house. All right, he says there's design that shows, that gives way to their life. He says why evolution is true. And he points out that nature is linked to design by accident. Absolutely everything in the universe accidentally looks designed. All right, Michael Shermer in Why Darwin Matters, his book in 2006 wrote, the design inference comes naturally. The reason people think that a, that a designer created the world is because it looks designed. What he's saying is it's not possible that it could happen by accident. All right, as you think about design, Understand that design demands a designer. In Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 3, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Notice, the whole earth is full of his glory. He says, when you walk outside and you recognize the design that is there for us, you recognize what God has done, you realize that it first came from a great designer. Notice Job. As Job's sitting on trial, you might say, or Job thought he had God on trial. Uh, in Job chapter 37, it says, listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of His cloud to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced? Those wondrous works of Him who is perfect in knowledge. Anthony Flew recognized that as you look at life and the design in nature, he said it was intricately created. God is that mysterious creator that Richard Dawkins was talking about this morning. I ask you tonight, if you don't believe in God, why not? Now, I presented three reasons. First, matter demands a maker. We also looked at life demands a life giver. And then finally, we look at, looked at design demands a designer. 
And if you think I'm done there, you are sorely mistaken. There is so much more evidence of God. There is so much more evidence of God's creating of us. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I beg of you tonight, why not? If you don't believe there is a God, I would, I would plead that you would consider the thought process of Anthony Flew when he changed his book and he, he rewrote, he changed his mind and he rewrote for the world to know when he wrote his book, there is a God. He accepted that the world points to obvious facts. There has to be a higher, greater being than us. And I want to encourage you today to tell you that that higher and greater being has something much higher and greater than this. Brad mentioned this morning as we were going through the Lord's Supper, in John chapter 14, Jesus said, He goes to prepare a place for us. He said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, he said, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there may I be also. This place that he's preparing is the place I want to be. Not only is it the place that I want to be, but it's the place I want you to be. And so the only way to get there is by following Christ's design, by following God's plan. Within God sending his Son into the world, Christ being willing to come and to die, it says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He came for those that needed help. The great physician, understanding that we couldn't do it on our own, Christ gave his life as he was sacrificed, hung upon the cruel cross, and yet we see that it fulfills the prophecy of old. It's like they couldn't, they couldn't help themselves as they, they made everything transpire just as Christ said it would happen. He said, he said destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And we see that Jesus Christ was raised. If you haven't given your life to Christ, you need to follow His example. Just as He was willing to die and to, to give His life up on the cross, I beg of you to give your life up of sin, meaning repent, meaning turn, give up, put, put sin to death. Say, I'm no longer in the sin and business, but I'm in the Christian business. I'm living for Christ being willing to confess Him before men, be willing to do as Christ did when He was buried in the tomb. I want you to be buried in water, following His example, coming up out of the water to live as a new man, that new name, Christian. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I beg of you, do it right now as we stand and sing.